Welcome to the Girl on Top Shallon XO podcast. I'm your host, Shallon Lester, and you might know me from my YouTube channel, where I analyze celeb relationships and scandals for the lessons we can take into our own lives. But here on the podcast, I answer the best questions you submitted over the past week. Gotta love quandary? Head to my website, shallonlester.com, to get connected, and also shop my merch and take some fun quizzes. Be sure to rate and review this podcast if you like it, and follow me on Instagram at ShallonXO, and find me on YouTube for... All right, girls, we've got some awesome questions today, but first, let's do our ritual of relaxation to get our mind in the right place and just take a pause during this busy week. The holidays are coming. Even if they're not coming wherever you live, something's coming, and it's probably going to be stressful, so we got to be in a good headspace. So we're going to breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth. One more time. Breathe in through the nose. Hold it for two or three seconds and out through the mouth. Relax your jaw, drop your shoulders, take your tongue off the roof of your mouth, and really breathe into all parts of your body. Imagine air going all the way down into your toes, expanding them like little balloons. Imagine air going into your brain on your next inhale, tingling your little brain follicles, getting your mind ready to receive the message. So our first question, comes from a young lady who is dealing with a not-so-young man. She said, I've been with my boyfriend for eight years. He's 59, I'm 32. Whenever we have an argument, he decides to punish me through the silent treatment. I have explained to him how this hurts me, but to no avail. I don't want to leave him, but we never really sort out any issues because I'm either too scared to mention it or the silence masks what's actually happening. I genuinely feel like he may be a narcissist as he does fit a lot of the criteria, but he also financially helps support me. So I think that doesn't help either. Help me. Yeah. So you know how I feel about dating someone older. I mean, (laughs) how I personally feel about dating someone even my own age and by my own age, I mean five years younger than me. Too close. Too close, people. Give me a D1 athlete or nothing at all. But I digress. So I see a lot of red flags here that add up to a pattern of control and oppression. One, like I said, being the age difference. I've said before in videos and probably on this podcast, the guys who go for a woman half their age or like significantly younger, they do it consciously or not because they want an element of control over her. And I mean, I can admit that about myself. I date younger guys because they're a little bit more malleable. Not in the control kind of, I want to control you. But it's like, guys my age, if you're like, hey, don't do that. Like, you can't just leave me hanging and make plans at the last minute. They're like, well, fuck you. I'm going to trade up for someone younger. Because they assume every girl my age is like desperate for a baby. They assume every girl at every age is desperate for a commitment and a baby. And it's honestly so insulting. But again, I digress. So guys who go for younger women, they really do have way more of an element of control in their pathology, right? And because the younger we are, the less experience we have, and the more likely we are to fall for whatever tricks they're going to pull. And someone even like said on Twitter the other day, exactly my advice. It's like, guys go for younger girls because girls their own age see through the bullshit. You know, like I date someone and it's like, oh, you live in an apartment and you can buy beer? Cool. To a 19-year-old that's like, oh my, he's got his life together. But you know, someone who's his own age, it's like, no, he does not. He delivers pizza, okay? And then with this girl's situation here, there's the element of financial control. So that also contributes to that pathology. And the silent treatment is not something he does because he isn't aware of how it hurts you. That is why he does it. 
You've told him that's your weak spot and he's exploiting that. Again, that's an element of control. And think about what kind of person uses your weaknesses against you. You know what I mean? Like when you tell your partner, hey, this hurts me, and they catalog that as a weapon in their arsenal versus a thing that they now need to avoid and modify, as any empathetic person would do, because why would you want to hurt your partner or your friend or your sister or whoever? But this guy didn't, he didn't take it that way. He said, aha, now I know what to do. Now, thank you, girl, you have given me the quickest route to controlling you. That's pretty fucked up, right? But again, control. So I think maybe it's time to step back and reevaluate the situation entirely. At this point, you're putting a dollar value on your happiness and selling yourself to him. And that means he has the control and the power. And until you untangle yourself financially, that dynamic, that power differential is never going to change. The people who have the money have the power. He's a money bully, you know, and probably just like a regular bully. And don't underestimate what the silent treatment is doing to you because psychologists have defined the silent treatment as a form of abuse. You know, you go to a rehab, which I have not been to a rehab, but I am like fascinated by rehabs because they sound amazing. My old insurance used to cover rehab and I was like, why didn't I just go? I would have invented a reason to be there. It was, give me, I got four hours on a plane, I can come up with something. But like in rehab, one of the things they teach you is silence is deadly. Silence equals death. Because like I always say, you can't change what you don't acknowledge. And if you don't confront an issue, if you don't communicate, it just stews and it festers. But that's what he wants, right? He's not employing that tactic accidentally, nor does he care to work out the issues. Why would he when he can just ice you out and keep getting his way, right? So my advice is to move on from this. What you have here is not a healthy partnership. And honestly, that's what you deserve. Jen submitted this next question, and it's an it's an issue that you might not have been in this precise situation, but I guarantee you felt this situation just in a different... So she said, hey, Shallon, I have a couple of friends that I ride horses with. They're 48 and 38, and I'm 20, and they're constantly giving me shit for being younger, constantly comparing their appearance to mine. They say things like, oh, you skinny bitch, and like are clearly very insecure about their bodies. I get I get that they're joking allegedly and technically complimenting me in like kind of a backhanded way when they point it out. But it gets to a point where it just feels like they're hating on me and singling me out for being pretty and young. Like, sorry. What can I say or do in these situations where I feel picked on or like not bullied, but yeah, picked on for something that I can't control for just simply who I am. Love you. Oh, I love you too. So yeah, these women are incredibly jealous of you, you know, and they probably don't know how to process or convey that. Haters are confused admirers, right? Haters see something that they want in us and they can't like process it in a healthy way. I've done videos on this during Evil Week, like get closer to the people who you feel that like, oh, that like prickly envy for because you can learn from them. Hey, maybe you could give them some like workout tips. Maybe you could help them do their makeup so they don't look like they just wandered out of coals or something. But these people don't even sound like full-blown haters, just kind of like they don't know how to compliment you without putting themselves down. And I think this is how a lot of women like are in society, you know? Like I don't know how 
to compliment a friend without being, oh my gosh, she looks so skinny. Ugh, I feel so fat. Like we say stuff like that all the time or we don't know how to just, yeah, just compliment a woman without it maybe not reflecting poorly on us. Like another woman being hot doesn't take away our hotness. This isn't a literal beauty pageant, you know? And we always kind of conduct ourselves as though it is. It's part of the patriarchy. They've taught us that we have got to like hate each other to compete for resources, AKA men. Uh, There's plenty of goddamn men in the world. We are surrounded by men. There are too many of them. Let's start weeding them out. I don't know, an island that they can go to, fight to the death, just send back the hottest one as long as it's Jason Momoa. You get where I'm going. So these women kind of hate their bodies. They hate that they're older, you know, and they're hoping to tear you down a bit so that you don't seem as threatening. You know, like they're going to look at you and be like, ugh, she's probably anorexic. You know, like we think that. We think that and we tell ourselves that so that we can handle what's in front of us. So I think the way to clip this is honestly very simple. Saying something like, you know what, I love you guys, but please stop commenting on my body. Whoa. I think that would be very powerful. Just a total splash of cold water. If someone said that to me, I would be horrified and ashamed of myself. I would be like disgusted. I would be so sorry. It would give me such a reality check, you know, and it'll put the writing on the wall because if they still comment and they still do this, then you'll know that these people, I mean, aren't your friends actually. And this isn't coming from a good place. And then you can put up boundaries for your interaction and approach things in a less warm and fuzzy kind of way. So Danny submitted this question. She said, hi, Shallon, I love you. Oh, I love you too. I've been dating this guy for a year and a half. I'm a nurse already and he's finishing his last semester of college. I'm 23 and he's 21. We've been in a long distance relationship while he's away at school and he already has a job lined up after he graduates in a city that's three hours away. We're both sick of the distance. I've mentioned living together, but he has completely shut the idea down. He'd rather live with his friend, but he's begged me to get my own apartment there in that city. So that means leaving my job, leaving my friends, etc. I know he'd always be at my place anyway, or I'd be at his. And so paying rent for a place that I might not really spend time in seems silly. What are your thoughts? Ooh, well, I agree with both of you. You know, on one hand, yes, living together is convenient. I live in New York City. People cohabitate for this reason all the time. Rent is so expensive. It's like, why are we taking Ubers back and forth six nights a week? But listen, I don't care if you do spend six nights a week at each other's place. It is not the same as living together. When you live together, there's no escape. All the little idiosyncrasies you deal with are so much more irritating and seem so much more permanent because they kind of are. Why do they seem so permanent? Because listen to this stat. When two people move in together, they have an 85% chance of getting married. At exactly a year and a half, it drops down to 11%. Why? Well, on some level, people know. When you move in together, you're kind of cosplaying, consciously or not, as husband and wife. You look at the habits, the biorhythms, the patterns, and you have decided on some level where this is going. So moving in together is a step towards marriage. And at 21, he's not ready for that. And you probably aren't either. And we have to be less short-sighted when we take these major life steps. It's like, we're just moving in together. No, you're not. You're escalating this relationship in a way that is very, I mean, intense, you know? And right out of college, you barely feel like an adult at all. 
Because look, if you're only doing long distance stuff right now, you really don't know each other in that day-to-day habitual sense. And that really is a huge part of a relationship, you know, one that you guys simply don't have any data on. And so it wouldn't really make sense to go from like zero to 60. Like if you were in the same city right now and already doing the six nights a week thing, yeah, moving in together is the next logical step, but you're skipping steps here. You're not in the same city. You don't go out on date nights. You don't have your place to go back to. It's, you really are missing so much data. And how do we know that this is true and this is crucial? Uh, Roommate situations. I don't know about you guys, but I have moved in with like best friends who I loved, we got along, we're on the same page. And four months in, I wanted to cut their throat in the middle of the night because we had a fight about peanut butter. Like craziness. It ruins your friendships, you know, and you don't see it coming. You're like, how is this happening? Why can we not live together? Girl, I don't know. That's just how human beings are. And these are with people you do see all the time. You do know probably in so many ways more intimately than you know a boy. Like, you know if they're gross in the morning. You know that they like stay home and eat Chinese food every Friday. Like, guys might not reveal that kind of stuff until you observe it, right? And jumping in with both feet is not wise. It isn't. It's too sharp of an escalation. Because listen to me. Breaking up with someone you live with is a divorce, plain and simple. It is agony. I've been divorced and I've also lived with a different boyfriend for for like three months and we broke up and it was, they were just about equally painful. It was so painful to come home and see like a physical representation of him not being in my life. The clothes out of the closet, the stuff out of the cabinets, like gone. So you need to like really think long and hard about what this is going to look like if it goes belly up. Because yeah, you might save some money. You can make more money. You can't get a broken heart back, right? Playing house is a recipe for disaster. So don't live with someone unless you are engaged or very seriously on the same page about getting engaged. And here's the other point. It is not going to be healthy for you to move to a city and just glom onto him as your only social group. You know, he's right. You need your own place. Moreover, because you need your own life. I've said this a million times. Like, our boyfriend cannot be our world. Because then if we break up, he takes our entire identity with him. And it's just not healthy for the relationship. I don't know about you guys, but I've dated boys who had no friends. Like, not really. I was their entire world. It put so much pressure on me. It made me so resentful. It made them resentful. Like, God forbid, I went out to drinks with the girls and, like, came home at 10. And they're sitting there like a cocker spaniel, just alone chewing on the furniture. I'm like, you need to have your own life. Like, I am part of your life, but I am not all of it. So, It's too much pressure to put on him. It's too much pressure to put on you. And it will ultimately ruin your relationship. So it's time to take a step back and think about not only what's good for your relationship, but what is best for you. And maybe it's that you do distance a little bit longer, you know, or you move there and you have your own space. But it's crucial to the health of your relationship and to your your own emotional health as well to really step back and analyze. Ooh, so we got a good question here about baby daddy. So Shallon, my question is, I'm dating a man and everything is going super well. The problem is he has a son that he hasn't seen in 10 years. When I asked him about it, he told me that him and a female friend slept together one night drunk and she got pregnant. He said that he was there for her and his son throughout it all until his son turned two. Then she found a job in a different city. They had a major argument and she took off with the kid and blocked him out on everything. And he's really sad about not seeing his son, but something feels off. Shouldn't he have 
done more? Maybe. What's your take on this? Uh, my take is not anything good. My first thought is this. If this guy was my father, would I accept that as a valid excuse for not seeing me for 10 years? No, I would not. And I dare say you would not either, which is why this is raising the alarm. Girl, it is 2000 goddamn 19. And even in 2009, there were plenty of ways to see your child if you wanted to. He could have hired a lawyer. Hello, like there's there's family attorneys custody. It's a thing. Paternity is a thing. Furthermore, if he's not seeing the child, that means he's not giving money to that kid either. So he's a deadbeat dad. And he can dress that up in whatever kind of costume he wants. Don't you think every deadbeat dad on planet Earth has a story? Well, she she told me to stay away. No, she told you to stay away if you're going to come over drunk and see the kid. You know what I mean? Like, there's two sides to every coin. And I think it's fucked up that he's painting himself as the victim here when clearly there is more to this story. Maybe it was a drunken night. Maybe not. Maybe she ran away. Maybe he did. But you are definitely not getting 100% of the truth on this one. Not many women want to be single moms if the dad is willing to participate. I don't hear that story very often. If the dad is healthy, sober, non-toxic, not trying to turn the kid against you, contributing in a positive way, I don't know very many women who are like, no, no thanks. I mean, it happens, it happens, but like, come on, come on. So stuff like this is a crucial data point because look, if this is how he treats his own offspring, which he is innately hardwired to protect and rear above all things, how will he treat you? If the going gets tough, if maybe there's an obligation, God forbid you get pregnant, what's he going to do? I'll t- we know what he's going to do. The past is the future. The predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And that is why your gut instinct has such a problem with this. We scan men for mateability. What kind of baby daddy are they going to be? This is our innate hardwiring as animals. And your gut is telling you not a mate. So listen to your inner wisdom and do not go further down this road. We got a doozy of a question here. Okay. I've been seeing a wonderful man for the past two months. All day we text, we talk on the phone, he's all the talk that we're not seeing anyone else and want to see where this goes. So he was napping at my house the other day and he received a Tinder notification on his phone and when he opened his phone in front of me, I saw a text from a woman that said, sounds good, handsome, winky face. Ugh, the winky face. Is there anything more odious than the winky face? He's never given me a reason to distrust him and he's always with me, so I don't even see him having time to date anyone else. Do I bring this up to him or am I like reading too far into this? (laughs) Oh, girl. No, you are not being paranoid, okay? There is something extremely fishy going on here. Clearly, this woman was replying, right? Not randomly sending a message to a stranger out of the blue that said, sounds good, handsome. No one starts a conversation with that It's part of a larger conversation, right? And she wasn't replying only now after two months. Who takes two months to reply on Tinder? No one. He's been corresponding with her recently and regularly, and it sounds like they were setting up a date. Like, it's kind of what you do on Tinder. It's also kind of insane to me he checked it in front of you. Like, what kind of dipshit does something like this? Either he's that dumb or he wanted you to know. Maybe not consciously, but he kind of like... You know, he's on Tinder. Like, it's not super private. Like, one of your friends could run into him on Tinder. 
I would absolutely break up with this person. Because here's what's going to happen. You call him out, this is what he's going to say. Oh, I deleted it. Oh, I, I didn't even know I was still active, et cetera, et cetera. It's a lie. That will be a lie. And it's important to walk in the light of the truth. And the truth is, well, I'm sure he does like you, you know? He isn't a one-woman man. He needs that much attention. And is that a relationship you want to get further into? To constantly be on edge? Because you don't actually know what this guy is doing behind your back. Who is he when you're not looking? How is this better than just being single, right? I think you should completely pull back. Don't text this guy all day. Make him miss you. Don't give him that wifey endless love because you are not his wife. And after two months, you still only know what he has allowed you to know about him. And now you're seeing a big data point that he is not able to curate and to spin and you cannot ignore it. We have a tendency as women to only log the positive things as data, right? The negative thing, oh, explain away, he's busy, he's stressed, he's this, I'm sure it's that. Why? We need to use the scientific method in terms of these people, right? Because it doesn't mean that these data points don't exist. They, they exist and they're rolling along, you know? So you cannot ignore this. You can, but you know, I'll see you back here in eight months or eight years, miserable and worse than miserable, furious at yourself because you saw who he was and convinced yourself you couldn't do or didn't deserve better. And if he can't keep his eyes just on you after eight weeks, when everything is new and exciting and there's so much to discover, what will this be like years from now? When there's the drudgery of daily life, maybe there's children, maybe you're living together, doing the dishes, going to Trader Joe's, and that lust has worn off. I get questions from girls all day long, and the issue never boils down to, I didn't know who he really was. Never. It always boils down to, I knew who he was, and I chose to ignore it. Okay, so this is a question about family and yikes. You'll get it. So Shallon, I've been doing some advice from the queen. Oh, you guys. I realize that my commitment issues may come from some patterns repeated from my mom, a single mom who always took charge and mostly stayed single. And my dad, who I may feel overextended our family dynamic. Like I put some space for myself to work on this and put some boundaries with my dad who leads with pity to get what he wants, blah, blah, blah. Seeing this for what it is has not been easy, but I'm moving forwards and towards what makes me happy. What advice do you have? Oof. I know this feeling so well. I grew up with a single mama too. And my therapist once said to me, oh my God, this is the worst. You're a commitment foe because you're essentially already married to your mom. That was the sound I made in therapy because I was like disgusted and horrified, but also seen. (laughs) And this is a very typical pattern with people who grow up either in small families or, you know, with a single parent or like a sister who's very close to them. Like we feel this a lot and no one really talks about it. And so, yeah, you have this just sort of free floating commitment phobia and this free floating exhaustion, right? When something healthy comes along, when a partner comes to you, it's like, oh, like what? What do you want from me, boyfriend? What do you want from me, husband? I have done this already. It's difficult, you know? And it doesn't mean we don't love our parents. And it doesn't mean that there wasn't an unhealthy dynamic there. Not at all. But it was a dynamic that was more reciprocal in a way than I think other people who came from larger families experienced, you know? But look, 
We can't change the past, and we don't necessarily need to. A lot of times, just being aware of these issues is enough to be free of them, you know, just to untangle it. Because you know when you're hungover, and you have that hungover anxiety, the anxiety, and you just like, everyone's mad at me, my life is going nowhere. Part of you, the like the thinker behind those thoughts, the soul, the mind, whatever you want to call it, can see just a glimpse of separation and be like, this isn't true. This is the demon talking. That demon, anxiety, a hangover, issues, whatever you want to call it, whatever names you want to give to both of these parties. But you can get just that sliver of distance to be like, I know what you're doing, mind. I know what you're doing. I still feel it, but I also know that this is not the real me. This is the layer on top of the me that I am able to shed with a little bit of self-control and just even a little bit of pausing and a little bit of distance. So putting up boundaries, yes, that is going to be super crucial. That's part of the distance, you know? But they're not fun, but they are effective. It's also key, this is what I've realized from my own journey, to manage energy in all categories of your life. Our motto should be, what makes me feel rested? And rested is not the same as lazy. Rested is not the same as asleep. And rested is not the same as isolated. What people, hobbies, habits, rest does not equal inactivity. I feel rested and renewed when I'm out with a friend who I love. But I could be on the couch with a friend who like just emotionally drains me. And that is the opposite of restful, you know? So start looking at your life in those terms and then trim the fat. Who is not restful? What habits are not contributing to this feeling of emotional rest? And then you'll have the energy to deal with the family and the people and the situations and the relationships that truly are worth the effort. Well, that's it for this episode of Girl on Top. Thanks for being part of the Chalantourage. If you have a love question you need some help with, find me on my website, shallonlester.com, and be sure to connect with me on Instagram at shallonxo and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Stay sweet, stay savage.